Hello, welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. This week we're covering 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13, which correlates with our Come Follow Me manual. And the title of our lesson this week is God Loveth a Cheerful Giver. Am I correct on that? Yes, Yes. and there's no pressure in that title whatsoever. (laughs) None at all. (laughs) And we're continuing reading... um, a letter written by Paul to the Corinthians. And the title comes from the beginning of our reading. In the beginning of the reading, Paul focuses on the blessings that come through serving with a cheerful heart. The interesting thing is, almost in contrast to that, the rest of the reading, or towards the end, he talks more about some of the challenges he's experienced in his, in his giving some of the obstacles or stumbling blocks that have been placed in his path. And it's almost as if we get the opportunity to look at some of those challenges we might have in our service that keep us from being a charitable giver in our service. And so he gives us tools and opportunities to reflect on some things we can do in our own life to help us be more charitable givers and, and, and have joy in our service. I was going to say, and in addition to like being able to use that as a way to reflect, I also find it comforting to know that just because that's not always the intuitive feeling of the moment, it doesn't mean that I'm on the wrong path necessarily, that it's all part of our journey. And some people may argue that if you can't have a super positive attitude that God doesn't loveth you, but I think anyone that's willing to serve because God has asked them to, will be blessed for that service. And that God loves us, even if we're being punks. Always. Always. He loves us always. Whether or not we get to be disciples of Christ is a choice we get to make. Right. Whether we're able to like work in the light and have that mm, connection and that comfort that comes with that is more of the question. So let's start by looking at the, f- the scripture that's referenced in the title to this lesson. Now, Michelle consistently has been reading out of the King James Version as we've been discussing and having our conversations. I kind of look at a few different translations. She's been looking at the King James Version because that's a very reasonable thing to do, Michelle. Thank you. And so I do that too. I'm glad you validated my, my choice. <laughs> but I, I, I like to look at different translations. You know, if you're willing to take the time, there's lots of translations out there. And one of the ones I enjoy is the Wayment translation. It's uh, done out by a professor out of BYU, translated from the Greek. And so... Generally, I've noticed when you read a scripture, it may be from the King James Version. When I read a scripture, it may be from the Wayment Version. But one of the translations I enjoy is called The Message. I don't know who wrote it. It's an app on my phone. That's awesome. But I really enjoy it because it's more of a devotional style approach to the um, New Testament. Well, it has the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I kind of want to read this to you. Let's read. Do you have the King James version of this scripture specifically? Yes. Remind me which chapter it's, and verse we're in. We're in chapter um, nine, and it's verse seven. Oh yes. Let's re- let's have okay. you read that. So, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Lovely. 
So the message and the surrounding scriptures around it, I'm going to read 6 through 11. And it states, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind that you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. And so I really enjoy that because, first of all, it states, you know, look, there are many different reasons why we serve. Um, some of us may serve because it looks good on a resume, politics. I don't know that you're going to, that, that might be a, a good example of a stingy planter who gets their stingy crop. And if you're somebody that goes, you know, I can't serve because I don't have enough time. It takes a lot of effort. Um, that may be a reflection of, you know, where your heart is. It's like the stingy planter gets the stingy crop. But if we're doing it because we love God and we have charity and we love God and love God so much we love his children, then God can give his abundance to us. He's going to make up for it. And he just throws caution to the wind, reckless abandon. He'll just make sure that everybody gets what they want and everybody gets what they need if we're willing to step up and be there. And so a lot of it has to do with that. You know, where are you? Are you doing it out of a sense of duty and loyalty? Or are you doing it to get something for yourself? Or are you doing it because you love God? And you talked about that a couple weeks ago that, you know, there's a difference when I get down on my knees and I start my day off and say, God, here am I, versus serving people because it makes sense to us. And you, you were talking about it saying that the closer I grow to Christ, the, the better friends I am with Christ, the um, more I want to be like Christ and more in tune with Christ, the more that's just part of who you are. The more you start your day off going, here am I, and then God will always give of his abundance to help us serve others, I think. So I love that. And I love that you brought in the ex the other um, translation of the New Testament because you know how I love synonyms for words in scriptures, and I feel like that's like a scripture synonym. Like here's another, <laughs> here's, here's another way to look at it. It's which, a great app that's free. Which I think is kind of awesome um two of the things that I think can like I don't know that I see come up often would be one when we talk about giving and service how often when we talk about it is does it come with a feeling of guilt like I'm doing it all that I can and now there's more that I need to do and it made me wonder if part of what the Lord is 
asking of us is not that we add more to our list, but maybe that we see the things that we're already doing and that we're open to other opportunities that come, but that we see those things in a different way. That instead of tasks or chores or errands or responsibilities that we think of it as being in God's service and that just that perspective can change whether how that feels to us how those activities feel by that shift in perspective because one of the thoughts that I had was is what I mean yes I think that it's literally talking about things that we do for people but I also think that it's in reference is it just referencing what we actually give of our time, of our money, of our substance? Or does it speak to, on our core, how we interact with other people, what we think about them, and what our attitude is as we go through our day, through the ways that we choose to use our energy every day? For example, I find that a, quite a lot of my service is at my home. And that those things could be labeled as housework, errands, um, grocery shopping, like all of these things. And I, I may not have been as quick to say, no, that's being a cheerful giver. I'm, if my heart is wanting to create a beautiful place for my family to be, not necessarily physically beautiful, although that is lovely, but that that is cheerful giving. Um, I love that because, first of all, the, the greatest service we can give is always going to be in our home. And I think that in our home is also where we're going to find the greatest challenges for our service. Everything yes. we address in this reading is very easy to put in the context of church, specifically because Paul is talking about church. Um, and so it translates very easily over to that. But I have found that my biggest challenges to service um, come from those in my home when they aren't appreciative of the service. You know, honestly, at church, sometimes it's lovely to serve because people go, thank you, or that was amazing. And you may not be looking for that, but wow, it's kind of nice sometimes to have people appreciate what you do. I find it at home that, you know, when I'm done with the laundry, there's not a lot of people going, that was amazing. And thank so, you so much for noticing so that I was out of underwear and now I'm not. Like, but it, it seems like it should. But I, I think Paul does a good job of actually addressing several of those things at the very beginning of our reading in chapter eight. Um, I think there's a couple things here that, that he talks about that are related to what you said. First of all, to address... Um, what happens when you're willing to serve just because you know that that's part of God's work? That's what I think is really great about true service. We can serve, and I think a lot of people even understand the behavioral perspective of when I serve, I get outside of myself. I am not so stuck in my own problems. I think people can see whether they're religious or not that stepping outside of yourself and and seeing that there's other people in the world that have your same challenges or that you can actually alleviate challenges of, there's something in that basic principle that is automatically um, enhances joy in your soul. And I think it's because it's an eternal principle that we're part of the body of Christ. But I think people can get that either way. But there's something to it that when we do it to also... Um, 
when we have charity, we become partnered with Christ. So one, it, it benefits us, but to be a partner with Christ in his work. I think that enhances my experience overall. And we see this first, he refers to, he tells the Corinthians, you know, the Macedonians have experienced a, an abundance of joy in giving to the people that he is actually requesting that they give financially to. So that's the motivation for why they're talking about it in the first place. He's trying to get the Corinthians to give up some of their abundance to the people, um, I think, in Jerusalem. And that the Macedonians have already done this, and in their extreme poverty, they have found generosity and abundance of joy simply because they were willing to give. So isn't that interesting? The fact that they weren't stingy, they didn't hold things back, and because of their attitude, they got a lot of joy, whether or not they had that abundance of resources. So even if your strengths are not laundry and the service you do in your home, you know, maybe your strength is doing a podcast or something like that. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously that is our strength. Thank you for this putting is, lots of pressure on that one. This is my, <laughs> this is my um, balance to the laundry that I did all day yesterday. But if that's not your strength, you can still find an abundance of joy when you're partnered with Christ in it. But he does give us also a good start. Did you want to... He also gives us a good starting point in the next couple verses. Well, and I did think that, and you just made that connection, because one of the things I thought is, well, what, what, what creates a cheerful giver? What delineates I can do the same work and what makes me feel cheerful about doing it? I mean, sometimes it could be because the person I'm doing the service for is enjoyable to be around. Like then, Absolutely. Then I feel cheerful. That's, a, that's probably a pretty good motivation for several people. The PTO board. Sure. I feel very cheerful when I give to certain people because they make my life fun. And, and it's I enjoy great. it, right? And it's great. But I think on a more like fundamental level, as I look at my own experience... I feel like the more I am walking with the Savior and thinking of him and thinking of other people, there's a natural joy, maybe too strong of a word, but a feeling of well-being that I have because I have confidence that if there's something that the Lord needs me to do, that I'm willing to do it. And if he's not speaking up right now, then I just keep carrying along with what I'm doing. And that makes it easy to be a cheerful giver when something comes up for me when I'm in that mindset. And isn't that the joy of the gospel is that when we faithfully do what God asks us, we get more than we expected out of things because of that. Okay, but then I feel like I have to go back a little bit because I feel like there have been many times in my life when I've been trying to do all the right things and I've had this great desire to do what the Lord wanted for me to do and like maybe particularly in young motherhood but not exclusive to that and I had I remember vividly feeling so frustrated that I'm doing all these things and I'm trying so hard to measure up to all of the things that I needed to be doing and yet feeling depleted, feeling almost on the verge of tears regularly because it felt um, like no matter what I was doing, there was probably something else that I was missing and not getting done. Okay. So that kind of takes us all the way to more of the end of his reading because... 
what you're talking about is the reality of why can't I get down on my knees every day and just go, Heavenly Father, here am I. Send me. I'm going to go. Oh, wonderful. I know what I'm going to do today. Um, that takes a lot of work to be in a place where we can do that sometimes. And um, sometimes our our trials are so deep and so hard that we at times even feel that disconnect with our Heavenly Father. For instance, you, you said a buzzword to me that made me think of maybe a young mother right after she has a child. Um, some people really struggle with feeling depression after they don't get any sleep and they've sacrificed their body into bringing another person into the world and they are depleted. So a lot of this, I would never say if you're not able to get, if you're physically or emotionally not able to get out of your bed, you may not be in a place where um, serving somebody else is what you even need to be doing right now. You may be in a place where if you can, you need can bring yourself to your knees and say, Heavenly Father, please help me to know how someone can serve me or I can connect with somebody on a level. Because if you are in that situation, serving somebody by connecting with them in whatever strength you can find will absolutely bring power into your life. So he did talk about that not all of us, he said, which chapter? So now I went back to the beginning. Oh, you said the end, Laura. Right, but that's because you're, you're bringing verses. up great things that he, he addresses in the end. But my thoughts went to, he said, you know, if you're going to give, give of your abundance. And he says to the Corinthians, you guys abound in a lot of things. You have an abundance in a lot of things. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love to us. So we want you to abound also in this service. So that's what he said to the Corinthians to open it up. So some of us, you know, a lot of us, our strengths are not the casseroles or going over to somebody's house and cleaning it or something like that in that moment. And for some of us, we can't get out of bed. And, and for those people that struggle to get out of bed, there is that option of trying to find something to connect with another person. Because even if your abundance at that moment is the struggle you're in, You'd be surprised how you can connect with other people. How in some way that's going to bring God into your life. So, so, so say you can get out of bed, but you're still struggling to serve. But you have an abundance of, of um, the ability to empathize with people. Is that something that you can share with somebody somehow? Can you share your faith? Can you share your knowledge? Can you share your... There's, there's some strengths that we can find, even in those times of darkness, I think, that other people can benefit from. And maybe one of the really cool things that's like the double, the double blessing there is that that thought process, because I really appreciated that Paul doesn't say give until you have nothing and are completely depleted. No. He specifically says to give of your bounty, which I'm going to throw out my synonyms, abundance, which you've used a lot, plenty, loving kindness. Like when I think of what is, what do I have plenty of? Well, it is much, it feels 
a lot more doable to give from that which I have plenty from than to give from that which I already feel is completely depleted. And for each of us at different stages of our life, that's different things. So, for instance, I don't have plenty of time between, say, 4 and 6 p.m. because that is like core homework, preparing dinner, like that is core family time in my house at this phase of my life. So volunteering for a need in the ward between 4 and 6 p.m. is not something I have plenty of. And it would be challenging maybe for me to feel cheerful about sacrificing my own family time during that time. But I have plenty or an abundance of time right now during the school day because all of my children are in school. And so that's like a super specific example of like time of day. But I think that general principle applies that anytime we feel pushed up against the wall in terms of our energy or resources in a specific thing, we do ourselves a disservice feeling like that's the very thing that we need to be giving. So, and, and, uh, you know, that's a great concrete example for us. And, um, he says at the end of, well, in the middle of chapter eight, he says at, at present, your abundance will supply their lack. So in the future, their abundance will supply your lack. So, yeah, right now, you may not be able to give in a certain way, um, but through this reciprocity between um, people that are the body of Christ, we can, we can come to help each other. If you're someone that is struggling to serve, we talk about being on that side of the, the, the person serving, the person doing the physical thing, the person helping someone in some way. I am. I recognize that there are two people in a relationship of service, at least. There's the giver and the one receiving. If the one receiving doesn't do that, how do you give? There, there is a nest. The fact that you're willing to be served is actually part of that process too. And so, if we're isolated, we're alone. We're not sharing who we really are with other people. We're not trying to connect with them. Um, we're not participating in this in that at one point, somebody's abundance will supply your lack so that in the future you can supply your abundance to them. So if we are struggling to be in, in that whole process, being willing to be vulnerable and letting people serve you too when you need it, but more importantly, just connecting with people, whether you're on the serving side or the receiving side, is part of this being partnered with Christ, I think. Yes. So that brings me back to in chapter 8, verse 4, the second half of that verse, Paul says um, that something that we can do is to take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Yes. And there were so many things about that that I liked and that connected with what you said, and it really brought into vivid connection for me something that you said early on in this podcast, which was, um, uh, oh, that sometimes we have an abundance of need 
that what we have is an abundance of need. And I have found Thanks. myself... That's the point I'm trying to get to, right? Right. We're part of this together. That like that sometimes we have an abundance of resource and sometimes we have an abundance of need. And look at how beautiful it is that we can connect on that level. And that by sharing our abundance of need, we actually are part of this fellowship. We're part of this fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Because if there were no... Like, I know we say this, but how many of us... Like we may say, oh yes, I'm in a class and we're going to say, yes, please tell us that you have a need. But then in that moment of suffering and struggle, it can be, and I have experienced that it's very challenging to reach out. And yet there was a period of time for probably a year when I had an abundance of suffering and I had an abundance of struggle and need to be prayed for and supported and I am convinced that that experience was fundamentally transformed in part because I allowed myself to be very vulnerable and to reach out to people like daily if needed and say even if it was just through a text message I am struggling today and I need prayers for this and this this is how you can serve me today I need your faith and I need for you to pray for me in this way. And there were times when I could fundamentally feel that strength. And I knew the Lord testified to me that I received that strength for two reasons. One, because of the faith of the people who were praying for me. And two, because of the grace that came to me. Because I was vulnerable and I reached out and I asked for that faith. Thank you, because I think that brings us full circle to what this all comes back to again is the body of Christ and that the literal act of serving, but also the act of um, being served is that solidarity that comes so that one person can supply their abundance when somebody has lack. And it reminds me of the paradox of, of Christ and the cross. So the paradox of the cross is more of a Christian phrase that some people use that in his weakness on the cross, he brought the world his strength. Mm. And so sometimes we like to be the ones that provide the strength all the time. But even Christ, even Christ on the cross said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And that loneliness he has felt. We know that he's also felt that loneliness. He's also felt that sense of, you know, nobody understands me. You know, who can I turn to right now? If Christ has felt that, we've all felt that. And so in our moments of isolation or sense of feeling lonely or alone, we can remember the Savior and remember that this is... Right after he said, it is finished. After he said, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, that was, you know, sometimes just the hill you've got to get over to the next blessing. So in that moment, you can remember that this is part of the plan and that you're not alone. There's people there to connect with and that are willing to be there for you with their abundance because maybe at this time they have that. So Yes, and and to be honest, I was very surprised at how willing people were, not just like one time, like, oh, of course I'll pray for you. No, I'm talking like day after day, week after week, month after month. People were willing 
to extend their faith on my behalf. And it truly testified to me of the love that our Savior has for us. There was a verse, if we look in chapter 13, um, Paul is closing out this letter in verse 11. And at first, this can feel like, oh, that's kind of stressful. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. And I guess the part that I was thinking that of is the be what perfect. Was that? So verse 11, chapter oh, 13, verse oh, 11. 13, 11, yeah. You, yeah, my... Catch up, Laura, we got you. So one of the things that I thought was interesting and that maybe stands out to me, probably because I have a history of trying so hard to do everything right and often feeling like I fall short... And thankfully, I have shifted that expectation within myself and I understand it better, but I have a long history of that. And so phrases like be perfect just like jump out at me and are a little stressful. So I looked up some... Which is great because be perfect in Greek means to be complete. Thank you. We're completed by the body of Christ, not by ourselves. Right. And so that was what I was going to bring up. Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, that's perfect. It just shows that we're like in sync and I love it. That as I looked up synonyms and I didn't realize it was the Greek, but I love that. Um, Words like complete, true, um, pure, like those things came together. But I especially thought of... That really, in some sense, perfect can be another way of saying, be connected to your Savior. If you're connected to your Savior, then this is all going to be as it should. You will have all the things that you need, and that that is what enables us to do that, which I really loved. And, And I think we mentioned last time that Christ became perfectly unified with God, and that's why he is perfect. And so as we become more unified with Heavenly Father, with Christ, with his body, we become more perfect. So I wanted to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go right smack dab in the middle. Chapter 10, verse 5. And one of the reasons that this stood out to me within the context of all of this is so much of the key of what we have been talking about is having that connection to our Savior. And how does that come to pass? We've spoken about, and I think all of our paths are different. It would be foolishness to say, here is the three-step formula, and if you just do these three steps, there you are, because each of our paths is different. And yet, there are some things that can get us started, get us aligned. And one of the things that stood out to me was um, that as we bring our thoughts first to the Savior, that that will get us there. So in verse 5, and I'd be interested to see what your Greek version says. This one says um, that we're going to bring every thought in obedience to Christ. Oh, every thought to the obedience of Christ. What does your Greek version say? And we control every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, I love how that just really, I think that that's such that that is such an empowering concept that our thoughts are something that we can choose. I like that the word control, we can manage our thoughts. We may not be able to manage a lot, but... And we don't have to believe everything that we think. Every thought that flirts across our mind doesn't mean that that's like truth and core to who we are, that we can redirect our thoughts as they come. 
And starting small is something that feels manageable. And that for me, it started out as adding a key phrase to thoughts because sometimes that inherent thought that would come was a little automatic at the beginning. So rather than beat myself up that the automatic thought came at the beginning, for example, if something goes wrong, then I'll say, well, now the day is ruined. Or, (laughs) well, now forget it, it's just over. Or I'm sure that now, so obviously we're learning that my thought process was fairly pessimistic. That whatever is happening, now it's just downhill from here. And so for me, that it it took some time for that not to become my first thought. But what I was able to do was add, like, well, this isn't going very well. But then I would, as I would notice it and recognize it, I was able to add, and the Lord will be with me, and his grace is enough for even this. So... I love this contrast to some of the things we've been talking to because what you're describing is very black and white thinking, all or nothing, right? Something went wrong, it's ruined. Right. Which, honestly, if because you know how I like to take it back to the gospel plan or to Christ's example, whose plan in the preexistence was all or nothing? Well, that was Satan's plan. Right. So when we love our thinking, our all or nothing thinking, if it wasn't perfect, it was bad. If that something went wrong, it's over. We're done. That's Satan's thinking. Christ's thinking is, I've been through this. My, we've, we come through this together. Literally in our mistakes and our challenges, that is when we come to Christ. That is what Paul says. Paul is now transitioning to, okay, so let me address some of the things that have made my life really hard in my, in my service. The, the scriptures you're reading are specifically saying, look, one of the things that makes this hard is that you guys aren't being very nice to me. <laughs> right? Isn't that life? Like, I'm okay as long as my source support system is, loves me as much as I love them. The second people start making me feel like this all or nothing thinking that there's something to it. It makes life infinitely harder. He, Paul actually has to defend himself against the people in Corinth because they started saying, you know what? There are savvier, cooler apostles that have come through here that we think are much more impressive than you. So Paul hasn't been promoting himself as really awesome because he knows in his weakness that God can do all things. And apparently that's making the Corinthians go, well, that apostle showed up, which is a, a fake apostle, according to Paul. This guy showed they were really smooth and cool. And Maybe, Yeah, I'm thinking you are rough, and I don't like this so much. So poor Paul, I'm reading directly here. It says, he said that the Corinthians say, Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is sickly, and his speech is of no account. How awesome does that make you feel? <laughs> so, I mean, poor Paul. He's like, okay, um, well, let me just tell you that these people, he also says that the, these apostles, they, they recommend themselves and they measure themselves against one another and compare themselves with themselves. Well, the, the smooth guys are like, look how cool I am and look at this other person compared to me. I'm pretty impressive. How exhausting is that for you to live your life that way? As saying, you know, why can't I serve like that person? And why can't I serve like this person? Unless you're hitting it hard and you're looking really good and you're the person that everybody's comparing themselves to. I guess that could work for you a little bit. 
But Paul actually has to say, this is not how you want to live your life. It's not how I want to live my life. Let the person who boasts, boast in the Lord is what he says. And he said, you guys are getting way distracted from the simplicity and purity that is in Christ because you are getting impressed by Satan and his tools. So if we want to live our life where we compare ourselves to other people and we have this black and white thinking, Satan's really happy about that. Because the truth is Christ loves us in our imperfection and he will strengthen us in our imperfection, which exactly is like my favorite part of all of our reading today. Shall I say my favorite part? I think now is the perfect time for your favorite part and then I have a thought. Because Paul goes on to say, okay, if you want me to boast, I'm going to boast. So that's what I get for this next so, several so scriptures. So share which chapter and verse you're going to be so reading. So now, now we skip ahead to chapter 12. I'll just read. I'll read from 7 to 10. 7 to 10. He goes, um, he goes, yes, and I've had all these accomplishments. Would you like to hear? And I've sacrificed all of this. Would you like to hear? And he said, Therefore, so that I would not be arrogant, because I've just told you how impressive I am, (laughs) there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me so that I would not be arrogant. I called on the Lord three times about this, and as somebody that knows a little bit, three times is kind of just probably, I have asked the Lord many times about this, that that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ resides in me. Therefore, I am satisfied with my weaknesses, insults, difficulties, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For I am, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, I mean, is there anything better than God telling us our his grace is sufficient for us for his power is made perfect in weakness complete in weakness as we have imperfection he is able to do his work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man that through our imperfections other people can even be strengthened how much more lovable is somebody that you know isn't perfect but is willing to serve say we're just talking about the church People that are bishops, people that, and and I'm not saying it's better, it's more important to have a big calling, but I will say there are callings that are more time consuming. Valid. Okay? Like, I know we talk about, oh, you just made that sound more important. I'm like, some people are spending 80 hours a week on their callings, and some people, maybe some of those formal callings are less time consuming. How great is it that there are people that know that, that their abilities aren't what's going to make a difference, but that they are willing to do what the Lord asks them and that in their weakness, the Lord will become manifest. When people are like, oh, that calling, what a great fit for that person. Good job. That's a good fit. I'm like, anybody could do a calling if they're willing to say, Lord, I have faith that you can make me equal to what you need me to do. That that might have sound flippant, but... I'm just saying that in our weaknesses, we are made strong. Not just in our weaknesses are we made strong. Sometimes we're made strong just in the moment. God just gives us of his abundance. But if we are willing to turn to the Savior in our weakness over and over again, then he is going to strengthen us. And those weaknesses, Ether 12, right? Or Ether says in our weak, yeah, Ether 12, in our weaknesses, he can make us strong because we are willing to turn to him in them. And he's going to teach us. 
he's going to let us know how we can get better at something. Um, and I've been strengthened. That is such a better way to become, to gain a strength is being tutored by Christ than just being somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just naturally great at this because he will make you stronger. And that's a great experience in and of itself. I wonder if part of what we're learning to do in overcoming the black and white thinking is learning to be comfortable in the messy middle. Learning, yes, learning absolutely, to, all learning, the time. Learning to feel comfortable that we don't have it figured out, that everything's not going how we want it to, and that that's okay, and that the Lord is with us, and that our offering is acceptable even here, and that His grace will meet us there because His the 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 savior's grace and power and love it is manifest in our life i think in my experience so i'm speaking of myself here it has been made manifest in our lives like in my life when he has come to me in my brokenness that his love and grace have bound me up during that time when i was in the ultimate of messy middles and that to, and one of the things that I learned through that was that when we need the Savior and we're willing to sit in our messiness and f- turn to him and say, how are we going to do this together? How am I going to partner with you to make this messy middle start moving in the right direction? That his grace and his love, as it binds us up, that that's a significant way that we become one with him. That it's through that journey, through the messy middle, that we truly become one with our Savior because we need Him in that time. Absolutely. I don't just love that. I think that's just the crux of life. Is that if you want to counter Satan's plan, that we already, you know, in the pre-existence, we've already been through this. We are here on earth to realize that becoming dependent and unified on Christ, becoming like little children, dependent on Christ letting him strengthen us with his abundance. Anytime we don't have any abundance, he always has abundance. He wants to give it to us with reckless abandon like we started, right? When we are humble, the Lord helps us to see where we need to improve and he will strengthen us in our weaknesses. And that, when we get better and better at that, life is messy. Anyone that tells you anything different is just putting a facade out there so so if we all recognize that all of us struck all of our struggles may not look the same but all of us have to deal with mess that it is through christ that we come out the end closer to him and closer as the body of christ so you know we started um we started our our podcast with a scripture from the message how would you feel if i shared another scripture to kind of end it i would feel so good about that okay. <laughs> so at the end of this it says examine yourselves um in chapter 13 paul ends with christ was crucified in weakness that was like his vulnerability was displayed for everyone and he lives in the power of god and that's what he did to be complete so in our weaknesses we can live in the power of God. So I just love that we're kind of finishing there. But he, he admonishes us and he tells us at the end, I'm chapter 13, verse 5. He says, I was going to say, and as you're pulling it up, I would say, 
that it's really that the Savior allowed himself to be weak in that moment, and that in that case, we can almost be a synonym for vulnerable. Like, he allowed mm-hmm. himself to be weak and to submit to those things. He came down from the thrones of hev- heaven to, to be weak for us. Mm-hmm. So us not being able to be weak and acknowledging that... Um, doesn't make us like Christ. <laughs> Let's try. We can be more like Christ by acknowledging that. Okay, so cha- chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. So test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. And the word test as synonymous with trials and tribulations for me. I mean, the plan of salvation is we were sent here to be tested. We were sent here to be proved that through our trials and tribulations, Jesus Christ is in us. And so I thought that was a really cool little, it's the end of the chapter, good scripture there. So, Amen. All right. Well, thank you for following along with us today. Thanks, Laura. (laughs) See you next week.